appreciate the, the song Victory in Jesus being sung right before the message because it fits really, really well. We're going to talk this morning about the only hope for America. And I want to make this totally clear right to begin with this morning. This is not a political message. That's not it at all. However, as I'm sure you've heard in the news lately, our president with uh, other uh, politicians have evidently decided that they can dictate their own morals or lack thereof everyone else. They've decided to tell Christians that regardless of what they might believe about contraceptives and abortion, that they must put those beliefs aside and toe the government line and bow to their wishes. Folks, that's just one item that's going on today in our country, and I want to just share my heart right here to begin with. We better wake up before it's too late. Amen. Now, having given that example, I want to hurry on and say that the attempts by the president and other politicians to censor our religious freedom is not the main problem in our country. The main problem, in my opinion, is that we, and by we I don't mean just we who are in this building this morning, but God's people, generally speaking, have grown cold and indifferent. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, 121, uh, uh, 121st chapter, and just turn and hold it. We'll be reading two verses from that in just a little while. <coughs> it, it, it's pretty obvious that America is in trouble, and please don't misunderstand. As I said, this is not political in nature, but I want to give you a little bit of information most of which you're aware of already. But when we realize that our nation is $15 trillion in debt and climbing every day, as I was looking for information for this message, I found that in six months, our national debt went from $14 trillion to $15 trillion. Now, to begin with, I don't know about you, but I cannot wrap my mind around a trillion. I just won't even, it won't compute, as the old saying is. But beside the financial situation, the morality of America is not good and seems to be getting worse day by day almost. In a historical book that was uh, completed in the year of 1787, this was written by a man by the name of Edward Gibbon, who was an English historian and a member of the Parliament. He wrote a book that was called, and some of you may have read this when you were in school, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. It was a great big book. 
But in that book, Edward Gibbons <coughs> lists the following reasons for the fall of the Roman Empire. Now keep in mind that these are the reasons given for the fall of the Roman Empire in the 1700s. Number one, the rapid increase of divorce, the undermining of dignity and sanctity of the home, which is the basis of human society. Number two, Roman Empire, higher and higher taxes and the spending of public money for free bread and circuses for the populace. Roman Empire, number three, the mad craze for pleasure, sports becoming every year more exciting and more brutal. Roman Empire, number four, the building of gigantic armaments when the real enemy was within the decadence of the people. Roman Empire, number five, the decay of religion, faith fading into a mere form, losing touch with life and becoming impotent to guide the people. I don't know about you, but those five reasons for the fall of the Roman Empire tell us something about our present national situation. You ever wonder what happens on an average day here in our nation? There was a group that's called the American Way who did research and two statisticians put this together. I'm not going to give you everything that they put together, but this, this happened on a typical day. Not a year, not a month, not a week, but per day. 5,962 couples married and 2,986 divorced every day. Drunk drivers do $18 million worth of damage every day. 90 million cans of beer are consumed every day. 200, I mean, excuse me, 2,740 teenage girls get pregnant every day. 63,288 cars crash, killing 129 people every day. 3,231 women have abortions every day. Things don't sound very good in America. And I seriously doubt they're going to get any better without divine intervention, victory in Jesus that we just sung about. The government can't fix anything. It, it, it almost seems that everything they try to fix gets worse. Somebody, I think it was Ronald Reagan said this, I, I'm not sure, but I think it was, said the government is not the solution to our problems, the government is the problem. There's truth in that. How many of you know, well, all of our more mature people know who Will, Will, Will Rogers was, maybe some younger people don't, but listen to what Will Rogers said about the government in his day. 
And he died in, in, on August 15, 1935. So this was back a, a little while ago. Here's what he said. A fool and his money are soon elected. He said, about all I can say for the United States Senate is that it opens with a prayer and closes with an investigation. He said, anything important is never left to the vote of the people. We only get to vote on some man. We never get to vote on what he is to do. He said, be thankful we're not getting all the government we're, that we're paying for. <clears throat> he said, I don't make jokes. I just watch the government and report the facts. He said, if I studied all my life, I couldn't think of half the number of funny things passed in one session of Congress. He said, it's easy being a humorist when you've got the whole government working for you. Several other things. I'm not going to read all of them that he said. Let me do the last one I've got listed here. Maybe I shouldn't read this, but I'm going to. He said, the only difference between death and taxes is that death doesn't get worse every time Congress meets. So what's our hope? It's not in government. Not in the military, not even in the, in the genius of Americans. <coughs> Here is our own hope. I'm going to ask you, we don't normally do this, but I'm going to ask you this morning, if you will, to stand as we read the scripture. And I also want to ask you to do this. I want us to everybody read this aloud together. So if you have not done so already, please turn in your Bible to Psalm 121. And we're going to read the first two verses Together, Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. May we read. I lift up my eyes to the hill. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I'm probably not going to say anything this morning that you haven't heard before. But I guarantee you with God's help, I will hopefully not say anything that doesn't need to be said. So what do we need to do to help turn America around? There is no magic solution to save America. To save America, we must save ourselves and others. Four points that I want to talk about this morning. I fully believe that if we'll put these into action, we can make a difference. There's an old song that the kids used to sing that says, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. Some of the words go like this. It only takes a spark to get a fire going, and soon all those around can warm up to its glow. And the Course says this. That's how it is with God's love. Once you've experienced it's fresh like spring, you want to sing, you want to pass it on. So, although we may be small in number, listen, I believe this with all my heart. God can take this group of people and use us as a spark to change our world if we'll just do what he's asking to do. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. And so we can begin to be a spark in our community. For the four things I want to look at, we must repent, we must pray, we must trust. We must evangelize. We must repent. And, and this, 
this scripture you've heard time and again. You probably sometimes maybe get tired of preachers using it, but it's, it's, it, there's a lot of truth in this verse, Second Chronicles 7.14, that says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We were quote, quoting Will Rogers earlier and he said this, what the country needs is dirtier fingernails and cleaner minds. And there's so much truth in that. In other words, we must repent of our uncleanness and go to work. Did you notice the very first three words of that scripture that we read? If my people, if my people. Many, many Americans think America is a Christian nation. I think Christianity is the dominant religion in America. And I want to believe that America was founded on Christian principles. And, and I want to tell you this morning that Christian people are the key to turning America around. If it's going to be turned around, we are the key. And if we don't turn us around, then the rest of America won't be turned around. If, if the people who claim Christ as our Savior don't do what is right, then no one else in America is going to do what is right. It's, it's like the role of mom and, moms and dads. If, if moms and dads don't do right, then how can you expect the children to do right? If, if, if moms and dads are out doing the things that they should not be doing, then there's no question that the boys and girls are going to follow suit. It's just going to happen that way. So the first thing that we need to do is repent. And just as a reminder, these instructions were given to the people of God, not the people of the world. We are the ones that need to repent. We are the ones that need to fall on our knees. We are the ones that need to make a U-turn in our lives. We are the ones that need to get our lives back on track to pleasing and serving our Lord and our Savior. So the second thing that we need to do is to pray. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Paul writing to Timothy said, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. Let me read that from the message is this. The first thing I want you to do is to pray. Pray every way you know how for everyone you know. Pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well so we can be quietly about our business of living simply in humble contemplation. Paul urged Timothy to pray for all those in authority, for kings and so forth. We believe 
or at least we say that we believe in the value and in the power of prayer, Jesus, no doubt, there's no doubt that he believed in the power of prayer while he was on earth. Now, now right here I want to challenge myself, and, uh, as well as hopefully challenge you. I'm being as honest and I know how to be right here. I have not made it a secret that I very much disapprove of the job that President Obama is doing. But folks, approve or not. According to this passage of Scripture, we are supposed to be praying for him and for all others who are in a position of authority in government positions. I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but, I, but I'm going to ask you to, to answer this in your heart this morning. How many of you, and I'm saying, I'm joining with you, how many of you have prayed for Mr. Obama? I, I have to say, I, I haven't, as I should. I have to say that. Uh, but, but the scripture teaches us that we are to pray for those that are in authority. I mean, we're obligated. Jesus said, that Paul writing to Timothy said that we're supposed to do this. Listen to these verses and tell us that, that tell us how important prayer is. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 says this. Very early in the morning, this is talking about Jesus now, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke chapter 5, verse 16, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he was finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Most young Bible college boys are interested in learning how to preach, but these disciples wanted to know how to pray. And so that should emphasize the importance of prayer. Maybe you're familiar or heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. They've become pretty well famous for the music that they put out. But Jim Simbler. Uh, began at the Brooklyn Tabernacle as a uh, ill-equipped, undereducated, time-strapped preacher who actually was the, was leading a second congregation in New Jersey. The Brooklyn Church, where he was trying to serve part-time, had no money to pay. They had a ramshackle building and barely enough people in attendance to bother with having weekly meetings. That's the kind of condition that was there. Today, the tabernacle, Brooklyn Tabernacle, hosts about 6,000 spirit-filled worshipers. The difference came when Jim Simbler, in a moment of desperation, set aside his planned message for the day and called for that church to begin praying. And that weekly prayer meeting, not the Sunday worship, became the focal point of the Brooklyn 
tabernacle. Jim's belief that God can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him guides his work. And so it is prayer, not preaching, that brought a revival to that group of people. And, and we see the, the result of it. So surely we need to do the same thing. If we want more power in, in living the Christian life, then maybe we need to pray more. In fact, I'm convinced that this is true. The secret of power is the power of secret prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, not if, but when you pray, do not, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. That's what Jesus says about praying. So when we pray and ask of the Lord, He will do things that we cannot do. And, and, and we need to ask Him to do something in America. We need to pray for our leaders. If nothing else, we need to pray for them to come to their senses and seek the Lord. But the first thing we need to do is repent. And the second thing we need to do is to pray. Thirdly, we must trust. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. And you've heard this probably a lot, but it, there's a truth here we want to talk about. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Our trust must be in him and not in ourselves. We don't have the ability. We don't have the knowledge to make it on our own. Probably the main lesson that I hope the boys and girls got from the skit that we did here last Sunday night and and, and also this past Thursday at Faith Academy, was the fact that as sheep, we must be totally dependent on the Lord, who is our shepherd. Man is not smart enough to take care of himself or to save himself. And he's certainly not good enough to do this. Our ultimate trust that must be in the Lord because he alone can save us. He alone can protect us. He alone can provide for our needs. It was said about Martin Luther, before he learned the secret of living by faith, there were periods of great depression and discouragement in his life. On one of those occasions, when his wife came down to greet him at breakfast, she was dressed in black, and he exclaimed, why in the world are you dressed in black? And she replied, well, haven't you heard? God is dead. And Luther got the point. 
No, God is far from being dead. We need to let God be God in our lives. This is a hard lesson for us to learn. But instead of us trying to fix things on our own, we need to let him be the fix-it person. He can do more than we could ever begin to think about doing. He is in management. We're in sales. And we need to let him do the managing of our lives. Oliver Cromwell, his secretary was dispatched to the continent on some important business and he stayed one night in a seaport town and tossed on his bed, unable to sleep. And according to an old custom, a servant slept in his room. And on this occasion, slept soundly enough. The secretary at length well awakened the man who uh, asked how it was that his master could not rest. Um, I'm so afraid something will go wrong with the embassy, was the reply. Master, said the servant. May I ask a question or two? To be sure. Did God rule the world before you were born? Almost assuredly he did. And will he rule it after you are dead? Certainly he will. Then master, why not let him rule it now? And, and, and we... Maybe you're not, maybe that's not your problem, but it's sometimes my problem that I don't trust in the Lord to take care of situations. Psalm 37 verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. There's no song that we says that only trust Him, only trust Him, only trust Him. We usually sing the message of that song and direct it toward those who are not saved. But folks, we who are Christians also need to take heed to that invitation to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Then lastly, if we want to change our nation, if we want to do something for the good of our nation. We must evangelize. We talked about this in our Sunday school this morning. First Timothy chapter 2 verses 3 through 7 says this. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Let me go back and read that again. This is taken 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. Starts out this way. Paul, again, writing to Timothy, said this. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who, talking about God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And he continues... For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, a testimony given in, in his proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth and am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. 
it said that the city of Glasgow in Scotland was settled by Christian people, and when they settled that city, they adopted a motto that said, let Glasgow flourish by the preaching of the gospel. As one generation succeeded another, the city grew, and it became an important commercial and industrial center. Business got larger, and it became to the point that business was larger than religion in the minds of its civic leaders. So finally, its chamber of commerce shortened the motto to make it simply read, Let Glasgow Flourish, and left off by the preaching of the gospel. Sounds a whole lot like America. However, America will only truly flourish by God when we spread his gospel. What was once the great commission has now become the great omission because we have failed to fulfill God's commission by making disciples. I, I know that many people have the attitude of live and let live, but listen, Jesus commanded us to make disciples. Why? Because the scripture we just read said that he wants all men to be saved. He died for all men. He died that everyone might become a child of God. He died and paid the price for the sins of every individual. And he wants that to be applied in every life. So doesn't that mean that we as his children need to be out spreading that good news? And that doesn't mean we need to be overbearing and try to lead people to Christ. Uh, but we have not been aggressive at all. We're quick to let it be known if you're a Dallas Cowboy fan, maybe, maybe that's a bad illustration, uh, a Texas Ranger fan, we'll use that one. But what about Jesus? Are we quick to let others know that we're a fan of Jesus? We need to be. We need to be aggressive in telling others about Jesus. Now, let me give you some other information that I found from a American Church Growth Institute, they interviewed 10,000 people with this question. What was responsible for your coming to Christ and to the church? Here's how they replied. 10,000 people answered this. The first reply, I had a special need. 2% said they had a special need. Second, I just walked in. 3%. I like the preacher, 6%. I visited that church, 1%. I like the Sunday school, 5%. I attended a revival service, one half of 1%. I like the programs, 3%. Now listen to this last one. A friend or a relative invited me 79% were in church because a friend or relative invited them. We may not realize this, but we are in sales. We're supposed to be salespeople for Jesus. Acts chapter 8 verse 4 says that of the early Christians, 
Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And we do it less than they did. Did they believe more than we believe? Was their faith stronger? What was the difference? I, I don't, as much as sometimes I kind of feel like we're in a hopeless situation in our nation, I don't believe that there's any hopeless situation certainly not when the Lord is involved again back to the song we sang just a minute ago we can have victory in Jesus I don't know what the solution is without it I don't think there is a solution in our nation without it without, without the intervention of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ I'm afraid that, that we're headed down a slippery slope as the old saying goes but folks, we can make a difference in Jesus Christ if we will give our lives to him and let him use us in our day-to-day -day living. I believe there's only one person that can make things right when things go wrong. And things do go wrong in life. We've seen things go terribly wrong in America, and the Lord is our only hope of changing things and making life better. But we as God's children need to fully understand there's an old saying that probably you've heard, I've heard many, many times in sales, and it's so true in our situation that we're talking about this morning. Listen to what it says. If it is to be, it's up to me. We cannot put it off on somebody else. We can't say, well, let the preacher do it. We can't say let the deacons do it. We can't say let the Sunday school teachers do it. If it is to be, it's up to me. And every one of us who is a child of God need to accept our responsibility. Every one of us need to, as the, as the, as the baseball saying goes, we need to step up to the plate and get busy. We need to repent. We need to pray. We need to uh, reach out and evangelize. If we'll do those things, then I fully believe we can experience victory in Jesus.